0: On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're investigating a killing in Ireland in Netflix's Sophie, A Murder in West Cork, looking into the disappearance of an entire town in Limetown on Alibi, leathering up for season three of Mayans MC on BBC Two, and finally going on patrol with Terry Pratchett in Discworld adaptation The Watch, which drops on iPlayer. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that this week comes to you presented by a mystery selection of co-hosts drafted from the Pilot TV stable, their identities concealed by elaborate prosthetics to make them look like weird human-animal hybrids. So please, welcome to the show, Pilot TV's very own sexy beasts, two people who I will simply refer to as Sharkman and Mantis Lady.
1: You just made a, like... Wow, is that well, you? Yeah. <laughs> we're both shocked <laughs> at
2: Pop the same thing. Pop Like, hold on. You're aware of what's happening outside of your bubble of weird fantasy, The Witcher and Mayans MC. Well, I like to think that Sexy Beast
0: is the perfect crossover of crap reality TV show and The Witcher, in that everyone in it looks like a character from The Witcher, mm. and yet mm. they're on a dating show.
1: But, so, hang you on. So, point, when yeah. we tried to talk about things like The mastinger Singer and you were full of scorn <laughs> and talking about how this was... Ridiculous television, but you're alright with the one where people dress up as animals and date each other.
0: Yeah, they're like dress up like fancy <laughs> characters. Like, I'm I'm all up for elves and orcs dating
2: on television. That's that's fine.
1: Good. I'm glad we found your niche.
2: The weird thing about the sexy beast, I'm glad you brought it up. The sexy beast announcer. This is in case people don't know, this Netflix revealed they are showing this dating show in which people wear unbelievably detailed animal um prosthetics. But this show had already been on BBC Three years ago. So it's a format. It? Like, yeah, it's a pre-existing format that was on BBC Three. I can only imagine that. And I, so I was trying to work out whether they're just showing what went out on BBC Three a couple of years ago or whether they're creating a new version. I think they're doing a new version of it. But yeah, it's already. It's, check it. It's already been on BBC. If you Google it, you'll find... What was find, it called? Was it called the same thing? called Sexy Beast, yeah. 2014. Yeah, it was on. So I think wow. they must—they just acquired the someone somewhere. in Netflix has gone. I'm going to look at the most bizarre formats yeah. ever invented on on British TV, and they found this one on BBC Three from 2000, and they went right. We're having that.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, that that makes us feel somewhat less topical and exciting. But sure, we were never going to be reviewing
3: it on this show anyway. So. Sorry.
2: <laughs> uh, you totally torpedoed that
0: one,
3: boy.
2: Thanks. Just started doing the facts, James. Sorry. No. Yeah. Well done, buddy. Yeah. Thanks.
0: Well, it's been a bit of pretty uneventful week this week. I would say nothing's really happened. There's been no news. Nothing's been going on at all, has there, Terry? No news of any kind. Nothing. Nothing happening nope. at all.
2: In many ways, this is the beginning of the end, isn't it? (laughs) In many ways, this is the beginning (laughs) of the end. Um, I blame you, James. I think, you know, I'm sorry. For anyone who has not been
0: following on social media, uh, Terry will be departing the Empire Menagerie and indeed this podcast as of September. Uh, Terry, be honest, it was the Game of Thrones monologue, wasn't it? there's
1: so many monologues (laughs) to choose from, but that may have been the one that... That tipped me over the edge. I have, to, I have to say, the number of people who said... Um, so I said, oh, I'm, I'm leaving Empire. People are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But are you still going to be on the pilot podcast? Not really. That, I can't do that, unfortunately. But um, uh, you will... Why not? Why so not? So you're saying that. No the company. <laughs> oh, mind. Um,
2: details, but, you know, don't,
1: don't worry, there are plenty of other opinionated... We're just looking for an opinionated woman, I think. So if you are an opinionated woman... <laughs> you could also be on this podcast.
0: <laughs> it's, it's opinionated woman slash James Wrangler, I think is, is kind of really what the yeah, job description is. There was is. a lot of um,
1: who's going to, uh, well, some people said who is going to control James now, and some people said who's going to be horrible to James now. But I think Boyd can step into that particular breach.
2: I could be a bit horrible, yeah. It's not the same, though, is it? It's not the same. I it's mean, not the same. It's
0: well, not the not same. We still have, no.
1: you know, what, eight episodes of, of pure, unadulterated uh, <laughs> fun and yeah. taking the piss out of yeah. James to go.
0: True, that's okay. True. Well yeah. I need to stock up on as much yeah. torment and mockery as I can now I mean, to keep you th- going. That can so. still happen so you-
1: privately, by the way. You don't need to worry about that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe we yeah, we maybe we should agree to meet on a weekly basis where we can just abuse <laughs> abuse James. <laughs> Yeah, and I can session, fill Terry so to in on the latest developments <laughs> oh. on The Witcher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But dreams yeah. are made of. Oh. <laughs> so, so, Terry, you've been at Empire for six years, right? Mm-hmm. Do you remember, this is my question, do you remember your first ever encounter with James? Like, what what, are your first impressions of him?
1: <laughs> I, do you know what? <laughs> I don't know if I do. I do remember taking, I took all of the staff out for kind of a drink or a meeting to... Just speak to them, See, get the lay of the land, give them the vibe of me. I do remember I took mm. James to a pub in Covent Garden, <laughs> uh, it, the place in which he ordered a Diet Coke, if I remember rightly. Um And I was like, "Oh God, another one who doesn't drink. Brilliant."
0: I I I think you're misremembering this. I think what you'll actually find is I said, "Do you want to drink?" You ordered an alcoholic drink, then I ordered my diet coke, and you called me a cunt. I mean,
1: isn't isn't that 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 just
0: basically my first memory of you?
1: The same story I just told.
0: (laughs) Yes, but I think you may have taken out some of the highlights.
1: (laughs) I do remember um, you took. He talked a lot. Like a lot and at great speed. And I felt quite exhausted by by the end of it. <laughs> but I can't remember any more than that, I have to say.
2: Yeah, well, Empire's weirdly run by a bunch of teetotal nerds, isn't it, basically? I mean, I'm not that yeah, weird, but I suppose. <laughs> but, first, you know. um,
1: my first week in the job and, you know, I'd only f- moved back from America the Friday before, I think. I, I flew back in on the Thursday night, started Empire on the Monday. Uh, It's all a bit of a whirlwind. Had the first week. At the end of the first week, I was like, sent everybody an email saying, guys, just want to thank you for making me feel so welcome this week. Lol. Um, Just want to thank you for making me feel so welcome this week. uh, Why don't we all knock off a couple of hours early? We'll go to the pub and I'll buy the first round to say thank you um so i, I gather everybody oh. together take them all down the pub this was always my way of bonding with people on magazines i worked in men's magazines for a long time yeah. the power of the pint was always quite something and we get to the pub yeah. um wrong crowd we all stand around i'm like right guys what are we having go anyway go go go, go, go Go. No. And then two people on Empire who shan't be named who, who do drink very heavily, probably too much, actually. And then alcoholic drinks. And we all stood in the most <laughs> awkward circle outside the pub. Well, people who clearly never went to pubs (laughs) held their soft drinks. And this isn't against people who don't drink, I have to say. It's that I was used to a kind of a bonding scenario of pub culture, Mm. which magazines and newspapers Mm. have probably far too long been built on. But yeah, we all stood in this incredibly awkward circle. And I remember it was kind of that weird thing where everyone was thinking, right, it's four o'clock. Do I have to stand here with the same drink until six o'clock because I'm officially during working
3: hours? Or can I leave
1: yet? Um, it was it was awkward, is the only word I can think to describe it.
3: Oh, you should have bought
0: crisps, that's where you went wrong. You yeah, should have bought crisps. I know, because then
1: we'd have had something else mm. to focus on. The great thing about a crisp packet in a pub is everybody, you know, you mm. get into the tearing it and the te- we just <laughs> had to look at each other memories. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's 6 years 6 years of me explaining <laughs>
1: please,
0: I'm so sorry please,
1: I have tolerance for it, you know, it's it's. I have a much easier time on Twitter these days than I used to have. I was trying to work out why, why it kind of got to me less, why I ended up, you know, maybe arguing with people less. And I've realised it's because you've upped my tolerance for mansplaining to such a degree that when the reply guys come along as they inevitably do, I'm just like, oh, they're fine. They're. Fine. I don't. I don't feel the need to argue with them. I'm just. I've got this this newfound fondness the reply guys, and I think that's because. I spend a lot of time with the ultimate reply guy.
0: I'm not quite sure how to take that. You <laughs> are
1: the guy. Good. I think you'll find. Like, come on.
0: Actually, no. I don't. I don't tend to do that a lot on Twitter because I no, don't tend to engage with people. Yeah, in real oh, in life. life. Yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. on Twitter, <laughs> yes. but actually yeah. in person. Yeah. I am 100% yeah. the. I think you'll find, guy. You yes, that is IRL that is true.
1: Reply guy.
0: Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's 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 fair.
2: We, we should have one of these every week for the next eight weeks where we, where we, a what, memory, what? a memory. From- Terry picks out a memory, yeah. a memory of Empire. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, a memory of James is much more specific oh God. than that. Yeah.
0: Oh, God. Right. Okay. So, what have we been watching this week, people? Terry, I suspect you wish to speak about Britney.
1: Yes, and I was I was wondering how I could crowbar this in, but um, I was watching clips of people listening to this recording on the internet. Therefore, it is technically what I've been watching, right? Right. Yeah. So, Brittany. Oh, I, I mean, we we talked about the documentary on this podcast, and I think there was a sense of disappointment. With it, because it it didn't really necessarily reveal anything we didn't know about the conservatorship she's been under for so many years, um, and there were quite a lot of gaps in it. And then, but it kind of all made sense to me this week because there has been this free Britney movement has been gathering steam for the last few years, and the thing that's always been missing from this is Britney's own voice and her own experience. Because on Instagram, she, I mean, I'm obsessed with her on Instagram. There's videos of her dancing, there's videos of her painting. I mean, Britney painting on Instagram is one of the, the, the most pure and joyful things you've ever seen. And she seems relatively happy. And there was a sense of whether that was all completely true, how much control she had over all that stuff. But everybody, the whole point about this is everybody's always spoken for Britney, And is the Free Brittany movement essentially a version of that as well? But this week we heard from Britney herself for the first time in Christ knows how long. And she had several disturbing things to say about the conservatorship she's under. things like that you know, when she hasn't wanted to work, she she clearly works incredibly hard when she hasn't wanted to do something that her team have wanted her to do, like a Vegas residency. She either felt like she she was so scared she had to do it or when she did say no. She claims that her doctor was told she was withholding medication and she was put on lithium, which is an incredibly hardcore um, medication. She says she has an IUD inside her, that she is unable to go to the doctor and have taken out, which essentially is its not for sterilization because she's not sterilized, but it is actually preventing her from having another baby, which is what she says she wants. Um, the thought that a woman doesn't have control over her own body to be able to decide whether she has an IUD inside her is is one of the most disturbing things I've ever heard. Lots and lots and lots of really upsetting things. And and the the thing that I found most upsetting, there were a couple of things, one of which she talked a lot about not being believed. And I think that's entirely right. Women who have had very public issues with mental health and, you know, Everybody's seen the memes of Britney. If Britney can get through 2012, you can get through anything. There's this scenes with the umbrella when she um, kind of wielded it at the paparazzi when she got her head shaved in public. She was obviously, you know, photographed strapped to a gurney being wheeled into an ambulance after having some kind of episode. And I don't want to be any more specific than that because I think there's been conflicting uh, comments on what her diagnosis is. But she clearly it has had experience with mental illness. And the reality is that people probably wouldn't have believed her. And during the testimony, you could hear her attempting to control the emotion in her voice because she would have been very aware that she could have been dismissed as hysterical or unstable if she'd have said something too out there or too emotional. And the way she was trying to restrain herself, I found really affecting. I find it absolutely unconscionable that we have a woman who is making a huge sum of money for a lot of people, we talked about this last time when we reviewed the documentary. A woman who is seen as well enough to go and do punishing residences, work day after day after day, make a lot of money for a lot of people, but isn't seen as being able to have her own cash card, can't go, can't make the decision to drive and see a pal 10 minutes away, can't decide whether she wants an IUD inserted into her own. I don't know if it goes in your womb or your uterus. I don't know much about female biology, but you get my gist. <laughs> the whole thing is fucking unconscionable. What the fuck? Basically,
2: it is just the thing that a lot of people said on uh, on Twitter about it. But is is so true? Is that you cannot imagine a man this happening to a man? Could you? I mean, it's just it just would not happen. There's no conceivable example, you know, of of an equivalent and. Um, yeah, I think that re- just really brings it home how what in a bizarre Kafka esque kind of nightmare she's gone through. It's so bizarre. It's so weird. But I think there's great I think, you know, she spoke for what twenty minutes and if you you know, I think you know, I, I I you have to hope that, that the the judge will do the right thing and will but you know, you know but I mean, the American legal system is so is so weirdly defensive about, you know, decisions that have been Because this, this has been going on for so long. Okayed by the American legal system effectively. Mm-hmm. That for them to reverse that is quite a big deal. It's just an ongoing nightmare. It is absolutely bizarre
1: because they would have to. That would take an acknowledgement that the the outrage is right at the at this decision standing for so long, and that it may have been an error. You know, and and that as you say, and I mean, we have because I'm thinking about um, I care a lot, which is different. Because it's about elder abuse, but the thing that I care a lot came out of was the way that conservatorships are abused with the elderly, mm-hmm. and and I know that there's a lot of people on social media been talking about how this happens with um, people who live with a disability as well. Often conservatorships can be abused. And I think what's so shocking about it is she's such a high-profile figure, and as you say, that she's not the only person to have suffered mental illness and been through difficult periods. Think about Shia LaBeouf, right, who has suffered very public episodes. And I'm thinking about the one with the McDonald's fries in the New York theatre. Really, really similar in lots of ways as to what we've seen happen to Britney publicly. And can you imagine anybody... Suddenly announcing that he was unable to leave his house or take $20 out of the cash machine or get a girlfriend that they don't approve or, or not be, or be, or, you know, be somehow they make basically say he's unable to have a child or something like that. It is, it is unthinkable in, in any other situation.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Has anyone watched any TV this week?
2: (laughs) There is a... No, by the way, just to say TV-wise, there is a... Because there was the New York Times documentary, Framing Britney Spears, which we talked about, and there was also a BBC uh, Three documentary called The Battle for Britney... Which is on iPlayer, by the way, James. Just, to, just to, so there is a TV program <laughs> just to bring about this back this. to the Agile just, podcast. Okay, yeah, go. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but which is you know, which is quite, it's quite useful in explaining the history of it.
1: Um, there is a uh, a radio podcast actually. Pandora Sykes, the writer and broadcaster, uh, did one called "A Piece, Pieces of Britney," which I believe, yeah, it's on um, the BBC website now. iPlayer, that's what it's called.
0: I <laughs> the BBC yeah. website, the thing. BBC the web website. thing, the thing, the BBC, BBC thing. Sounds. Yes, the, Steve,
1: the BBC internet. It's on the BBC <laughs> internet. Yes, it is on Sounds as well because it's a podcast, not a TV show. Yeah. Shut the fuck up, Terry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Um i have been watching yeah i've been watching some actual stuff some 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 stuff this week um i mentioned last week this uh sex uh slash life show that ne- netflix did. wouldn't um give us previews for um because it's one of their absolutely trashy um soapy uh melodramatic Sex and nudity filled shows that they sometimes feel weirdly ashamed of almost (laughs) like they're not, you know, like half of the brilliant, best things on Netflix haven't been something akin to that description. But this is this show. It's an American drama and it's all about a woman, a married woman. Who is married to this perfect guy? She's Sarah Shahi plays Billy. She's married to um, Cooper, played by Mike Vogel. And he's this perfect figure. He's like a lovely, he's a a hunky guy. He's a but he's like a kind of a banker. He's in a boring job. And they don't have kind of satisfying sex anymore. And she is obsessed with this other guy that she used to kind of hang around that she had rampant sex with, who had a massive knob, and she fantasizes about him a lot. Yeah. And um and this show, right, is literally. Wall to wall nudity, sex scenes. I mean, they had the the intimacy coordinators. I was reading an interview with the star saying the intimacy coordinators are like literally there constantly every single day on set. Yeah, basically having to having to sort out the sex scenes. But the interesting thing about it is, it is absolute complete trash. It is, but it's the whole thing is created by, written by, entirely directed by women. Um, and is is very much trying to see everything from a woman's point of view. So there's kind of more male nudity in it so far from the couple of episodes I've seen than female. I mean, there's there's general all round shagging and nudity, but it is a, an interesting example of what Netflix does. Um, and it's incredibly slick and like looks great, and you know, everyone's beautiful. And it's just a it's just an example. I think I think it, people will enjoy it because it is um, amusingly trashy and constantly just full of sex, sex. Slash life on this. Just Netflix.
1: writing this down. Yeah, <laughs> Walter yeah.
2: Did you say? Well, Walter nudity. Mm. I would say. Um, and the only other thing I wanted to mention was um, Lupin. Uh, I've finished Lupin, all, all the second five episodes. Partly because I hosted an event for it for BAFTA this week um with the glorious people who do it, and it's so brilliantly entertaining. Lupin is now um, up there. and Some of my favourite things. It's just, it's just fun. You care about the characters. It's beautifully made brilliantly directed um and Omar C uh, is just astonishing he's so charismatic and um lovable and likable and all those words uh, it's just a brilliant show so i think i think i think people would love it i think james particularly would really enjoy it because you like sherlock didn't you james very much so yeah yeah it's kind of, it's it, tonally it's very very sherlocky as i've said before but but it's also different and unique um and it's got loads of like bait and switch kind of Plotting going on uh, It's just brilliantly done And really entertaining I, I must watch that Yeah, George K wrote, writes it who, Of, you know, um, criminal fame And uh, he really knows what he's doing He's very he's very clever Yeah, no, I, I must get around to watching that I really must But of course I haven't been able to Because my rewatch of Peaky
0: Blinders Has been going on Oh, yeah uh, at full force i'm now into series three of peaky blinders oh my god it's so good and again and i can't emphasize enough terry you would absolutely love this show every time i watch it i just think this is so terry this couldn't be more terry it's the most terry thing ever
1: but why Um, can't they just not wear why can't it be in the modern day what (laughs) hang
0: on Where where is this newfound hatred of all things period come from
1: it's not newfound That was my whole problem with Downton Abbey, period and posh. Hang
0: on, hang on. You didn't have a problem with Downton Abbey. You devoured the entire thing.
1: I did, I did. I was massively prejudiced and refused to watch it and then you bullied me (laughs) into it and it was amazing. But I still (laughs) had the initial prejudice.
0: Was there not a valuable (laughs) lesson learned by that experience?
1: (laughs) No, no. That would take self-awareness.
0: You are like Seinfeld, aren't you? No hugs, no learning. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 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 <laughs> yes oh uh, yes you must watch Peaky Blinders you would like it last oh it's brilliantly made um, so I'm enjoying that a lot. I also just randomly one evening watched series five of Luther. I could, can't quite tell you why. So I did a Luther rewatch. I think it was either early, earlier this year or last year. I can't even remember. And I stopped at series five because series five was the most recent one and I'd seen it quite recently. But I sat down and watched all four episodes and then I'd have forgotten how dark the ending of the most recent series of Luther is. Like if they ever pick it up again or do the much threatened Luther movie. Uh, it's going to be interesting where they go from that because it, it ends in a pretty bleak Place. I can't remember how it ends now. I remember seeing.
2: I'm i not going to say because of spoilers, okay. but yeah. let's just say, you know, it doesn't end well for anyone.
0: Okay. <laughs> but they're definitely doing uh, the
2: film. The film is absolutely 100% happening.
0: Well, yes, true, but they have been saying that for at least a decade now. And so until it's actually in front of me finished, I'm not going to believe it. Yeah. No. Okay. Uh, so we'll have to see. Uh, and also, I want to talk about very briefly Loki Episode 3. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. again was an interesting one. Now, we talked about this on the Loki Spoiler Special podcast, which I think is available now. If you go to slash spoiler specials. You can subscribe to our channel there. But um, Boyd, I'm I'm assuming you've seen it, and I'm assuming you reveled in the
2: Whovian-ness of it all. Loved it, yeah. So hoovian, yeah. I th- I I I thought it was it's very kind of chatty, isn't it? It's it's kind of character development episode, yeah. Um, and yeah. as a lot of people pointed out, you know that's not a negative thing. I think it's brilliant that it takes the time to to um to embrace the characters and to show the characters and to introduce new characters and have them bouncing off each other. It was very Hoovian. It was there's the whole bisexuality thing, you know, the yeah. kind or of pan. I think it's bisexual. The writer, in fact, said on on tweeted about it, saying how thrilled she was to be able to the director. I believe it was Kate Heron, wasn't director. It? sorry, yeah. you're right. Yeah, the director. Um, and I thought that was brilliant. Just kind of you know, very cleverly done. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I'm loving the, but it is very Hoovian and I think. Um, I think th- I th- again I think the writers and directors have, have talked about that you know embraced that fully and um, loving it yeah they,
0: they were really good company I thought the dialogue and yes. the chemistry
2: between them was great Loki versus Loki that
0: I, I could have sat there for hours watching those two talk to each other
1: all I'm going to say is it was Doctor Who
0: yeah yeah, I mean, yes. it, was. it was Doctor it was. Who except the sets were made of set instead of cardboard
3: so.
2: I mean it's funny yeah but you know that's an interesting point because when I interviewed Russell T the last time when we did Russell T Davis for Empire one of the things he said was people 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 assume that he gets offered you know massive sci-fi fantasy shows for Netflix with billions of, of dollars of money like you would get mm. in this, like, this show which is Doctor Who with billions and he's like no I don't get offered that at all and in fact he's kind of furious about it and he'd love to do it and he'd love yeah. to be offered millions of pounds and one of the things that he kind of almost like a regret about Doctor Who when he was in charge of it was that he didn't have vast swathes of money at all, and he and it was always like the BBC was always like you know really tight fisted with the budget, even more tight than you would expect for a show that at one point was their biggest show in the world, basically. Yeah. Um. So he's never had that. He's never been able to create or write for a sh- the show you know his b- beloved genre TV show with that kind of budget, and I, and I th- and I can't wait for that to happen. I hope it happens. I hope someone mm-hmm. thrust vast wads of cash at him where you can do a show that has this these production values because uh, that would be fantastic but that's always been the thing isn't it they do incredibly creative inventive things with a very limited BBC budget yeah,
0: yeah. which is sometimes why I've bumped on it you know that the production values can only stretch so far uh, but something like this was was very interesting because this is like massive Disney budget uh, yeah. you've got meteors and comets and planets oh. flying at you in huge wonders and just yeah uh, what you can do with a little bit of cash is incredible it does make a difference yeah it does as you say make a difference <laughs> (laughs) Right. Okay. Uh, That, I think, broadly sums up what we've been watching this week. So let us talk then about this week's listener question. And this week's listener question doesn't come from a specific listener, but in fact from many listeners who are asking that as we now having passed the summer solstice are halfway through this year as the evenings start drawing in as we begin the inexorable descent into winter once more could we take a look back at the first half of 2021 and talk about our favourite shows of the year so far who would like to begin?
1: I will (laughs) (laughs) time, line of duty the friends reunion it's a Thin, the underground railroad behind our eyes Loki, the mayor of Town, <laughs> wins everything and will win everything at the end of the year and is still number one. I don't care what TV I watch for the rest of the year, it's the best.
0: So, Mayor is your number one? This is, this is what we've re- established? Okay, good to know. Boyd, have you done a slightly more ordered, coherent list? Um,
1: well,
2: I've got some bubbling unders. Yeah, my bubbling unders are Friends Reunion, Lupin, which I mentioned uh, at the beginning, yep. um, WandaVision and Loki, both love both of those. For All yep. Mankind, which I have to... Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> brilliant! Terry not endorsing that choice. <laughs> absolutely brilliant!
2: Yeah, I have to, yeah. Um, encouraged by uh, our our listeners to watch that. I love that, and that got better and better and better. It was incredible, particularly the ending. Line of duty, absolutely Unforgotten Absolutely. Um, Behind her eyes, gr- joyous, joyous, brilliant. Trashy tree. Joy- I keep using the word trashy, which is a compliment in my world, by the way. Um, but my, I've gone a top five. My top okay. five are Feel Good. Good choice. Uh, season Got two. Them. Yeah, right. <laughs> this Time with Alan Partridge. This Time with Alan Partridge <laughs> is the show I've watched. I've watched every episode like four or five times. And it's my new, like Terry's, you know, CSI, put it on and go to sleep with it. That's my version of that. I, it comforts me so much just listening to Alan being a fucking brilliant bell bellend um, for half an hour each week, each episode. So I loved um, This Time with Alan Partridge. Time, the uh, Jimmy McGovern, absolutely Mare Town is my number two because It's a Sin is number one for me. Yep. It's a Sin is my number one.
1: Come on then, James, James. Ruin it with your shit choices.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: At number five... <laughs> Bosch, of course,
1: <laughs> are you joking? Oh, d- are you trolling us live on the podcast? Are you tripping a
0: little bit, a little bit. There may be an element of that in there. Okay, look, I really enjoyed Bosch, so it's pure enjoyment level. It is definitely flashing out. I don't know if it's actually in my top five, but I, I wanted to put it there just for the lols. Um, at, at number four on my list is Mayor of East Town, which I did enjoy enormously. At number three, WandaVision. At number two, Unforgotten. Mm. And at number one, it has to be said, I think yeah. the TV event of this year is Line of Duty. Oh, yeah. yeah. okay. Okay. because that was that was a thing where I would have actively killed people to get copies of episodes in fact I was given copies of episodes ahead of their own but you know what I mean like yeah. I, I was I was so desperate to it was see so that.
2: addictive yeah you
0: yeah. know and if someone had in box a we have the next episode of line of duty in box B we have all of Loki I'd have just jumped on the line of duty box in a second because that was very much the event mm. for me but you know, like I say loved forgotten as well uh, that was pretty close behind uh, Loki isn't quite in my top five yet it may well be by the, by the end of the year but I think three episodes in I'm loving it but I want to see how it's Plays out before I decide where I'm going to kind of put it in that list. But you yeah, know, similar, similar long list to you guys. Like Cobra Kai season three was in there. It's a sim would have been in there. Marcella season three probably would have been in there for me. Really enjoyed that. Oh, uh, yeah. Shadow and Bone probably isn't like a top thing, but I did very much enjoy it, and it's very me. Um, Motherland season three as well. Seriously, mm. oh god, same. yeah, yeah. Because yeah, absolutely. Motherland good, series three no, for me. Point. Like, and I haven't watched every episode of that show, but that that first episode of series three was comedy gold. Uh, no, it was it was incredible. <laughs> absolutely incredible uh, i thought that was very very good um we are lady parts may end up in my review that yeah. we'll have to see where that where that falls And the end feel good course would be there as well and the one episode of time i saw was very very good <laughs> so. oh yeah you couldn't manage all of them i couldn't manage all of them but i'm sure it's fabulous so that's 2021 as it stands as it stands i'm surprised terry i was expecting you to throw in some kind of you know terrible curveball true crime misery fest thing that you know I haven't seen or heard of so well, I'm slightly disappointed
1: I would say that a show we're reviewing this week would make my top 10
0: oh god Ooh. right well, this is going to make for an interesting discussion later <laughs> interesting interesting <laughs> Okay, well, we hope that has answered the question for those of you who were wondering. So if you haven't seen any or indeed all of the shows we have just recently listed, then do dig them out. Uh, You've got until the end of the year where we come up with our complete lists of this year. Well, Terry, we'll probably have to get you to to, to deliver yours by proxy uh, if we do it at the end of the year. Shall we move on then to this week's news? What's been happening in the world? I was saying not a lot this no. week. It feels really light on news, I think, because everyone's still watching the bloody football. Uh, I was quite excited to see. <laughs> oh my God. Patrick! That was great.
1: Everybody's yeah. watching the bloody, the bloody, football. Football. The bloody <laughs> football. You the bloody soccer, I believe you. I call kind it. of,
0: I feel Alan probably watches football.
2: Of course uh,
1: he does. Alan no, likes we, football. Alan started out as a sports football. reporter.
2: Well, yeah, yeah, that's
1: true. He pretends to watch football and understand
2: it. <laughs> yeah, eat yeah. my goal,
0: bloody uh, yeah.
1: football! Bloody
0: <laughs> I neither, yeah. I neither watch it nor pretend to understand it. Um, <laughs> it was Richard Madeley, yeah, kind of. Oh, the right. bloody football! <laughs> oh, <laughs> the bloody, bloody football!
3: football.
0: <laughs> uh, well, we may still have bloody football, but we do know when the bloody sex education is coming back, and that is coming back on the same day as the morning show. That's going to be a hell of a day, seventeenth of wow. September. We mm. also saw the first images from the third season of sex education where they seem to be wearing school uniforms which is a bit of a a shift in gear for that particular show I always quite like the fact that I couldn't work out if they went to the poshest boarding school ever or the local comp or indeed an American high school because it wasn't really clear Um, whereas now it feels maybe a little bit more traditional I get the idea this is a plot point isn't it where someone's coming into the school to try and shake things up and uh, bring them back to some sort of standard of excellence but
2: um,
3: hmm what did you think?
2: I didn't even notice that to be honest but now you've mentioned it yeah yeah. The School thing.
0: uniforms are go go.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I'm just very excited that it is coming back. Uh, so quite am soon. I. I can't believe we had a 9 month delay on that one. So it's yeah. been that's been rough. Yeah. There were a lot of first look picture stories this week. Like so um there was that there was The North Water BBC released pictures of The North Water which I'm really looking forward to the Andrew Haig of Weekend um and The OA fame. Um which with the cost of this show, right, is Jack O'Connell, Colin Farrell, Stephen Graham, Tom Courtney.
3: Mm.
2: Um I mean fucking hell. And it's about a bunch of these old dudes um who, who go to an, a whaling expedition in the Arctic in the night in period, sorry, Terry. But um I think it's gonna <laughs> be like yeah, but it's all a the other contemporary elements you want.
0: whaling expedition
3: <laughs> in <laughs> the Arctic, Terry. <laughs> uh,
2: um yeah. but it is but I uh, can't wait for this. It looks really bleak and wintry and... Andrew Hagee and all those people in it, yeah. Just on Terry's
0: anti-period drama thing. Does that mean like Carnival Row is like your Kryptonite? where oh my it's god! Why a fantasy fairies in a kind of period setting?
1: That was my. Uh, that was just torture for me. Every second <laughs> of that was fucking torture.
0: <laughs> to be fair, it was really irritating in general. Yeah, it was also I bad. loved it. I loved it. We're gonna have to definitely have you back on when season two drops, just because I'm not sure I could survive otherwise. <laughs>
1: you did I'm leaving a job work, right? Yeah, <laughs>
2: absolutely not. Absolutely not. I make my own rules. <laughs> I'm gonna go rogue.
0: Yeah. Sorry, Boyd, carry on.
2: Yes, I was saying um the, the his style materials, they put out a picture of that, didn't they? Commence filming of ser- series three, which is the Amber Spyglass. Um they put out a picture of um of this is going to hurt. You know that about that show. This is based on the massive bestseller, Adam Kay, about working in the HS, Dr. Working in the NHS, and Ben Whishaw plays him, basically. Uh, fucking! Imagine being a real person, a real life person, like a you know lovely guy. I've I've met Adam a few times, and um, you, you end up being played by Ben Whishaw. That is a really good. It's <laughs> I mean, like an incredible thing to happen. Uh, but that looks really, Alex Jennings is in that. Khadiv Kiwan's in that. Who we saw recently in Time. Harriet Walter. I think that's going to be amazing. That's going to be on BBC Two in the autumn. So there was just lots of pictures of these shows released basically. Yes, which are which lend themselves beautifully to a, an audio podcast. So that's uh, great.
3: <laughs> Sorry,
0: <laughs> Well, so just like trailers, but we talk about. I names. know. I know. There was a trailer for Ted Lasso, speaking of trailers. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Which I was very excited L- lovely. about. Lovely. Get a bit lovely of, stuff. get some uh, Ted Lasso goodness into my veins. Uh, yeah, I, I've, I've missed that show so much. They've made an awful lot. It seems like the internet has only recently discovered that uh, Hannah Waddingham is Septa unella from Game of Thrones, the shame nun. Because everyone seems to be now talking about, and asking her about being waterboarded by, uh, by Lena <laughs> Headey. So there's an awful <laughs> lot of column in. like, she had played that when the last one aired. Why are we talking about this? now uh it's very it's such
2: a, i think it is such a different persona isn't it the characters could not oh, be God, yeah. different yeah. i mean yeah. it is yeah. so it people wouldn't yeah you wouldn't realize necessarily i think i mean, mm. that's fair enough but it will be a very
0: very good day on the 23rd of july when ted lasso returns to our screens isn't that right terry
1: yeah can't wait for it
2: <laughs> <laughs> we must try and convert terry to ted lasso <laughs> kind of we must somehow it's it's, it's somehow. joyous it
0: is bottled yeah. joy it it's is not feel period. good feelings it's mm. not period. It's entirely contemporary. Oh, no. And look, Be- Perry, it's about football, and I like it. This must tell you something.
1: Oh, yeah. That you have no standards.
0: It's, it's yes <laughs> yes. It's about the <laughs> bloody football.
1: The bloody f-
3: bloody football. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, it might, that might have been a little bit too get off my lawn, but you know, it's all good. Um. Have you seen that Interview with the Vampire has been officially ordered to series at AMC? This has been threatening to happen for ages. I am over the moon that Interview with the Vampire Are is you? going to series. That's that yeah, like absolutely a
1: terrible idea.
0: <laughs> well, the book, I, I loved the book when I read that at university. And the film is one of my all-time favourite films as well. The, wait a minute, so, the,
2: the dodgy the film Neil with Jordan Brad film. Pitt and... Um, yeah, uh, the
0: Neil Jordan is one of my all-time favourite films. One of your films.
2: all-time favourite films. Yep. How did I not know this? This is hilarious. <laughs> I remember... Absolutely true, I love it. I remember very clearly going to see that film, being so excited. Neil Jordan, legend, yep. incredible yep. cast, um, and thinking it was absolutely devastatingly disappointing. <laughs> You're not the only person who has that view.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes. you are not
1: alone, Boyd.
2: <laughs> I think it's glorious. Terry,
0: of course, will be in love with its period goodness, but uh, it is is—it's wonderful. I love Elliot Goldenthal's score. I love the way it's shot. I think it's great. I mean, it's a big deviation for the books, but it's, uh, I, I'd love it. Wow. So I'm interested to see what they do with it in series form. We will see. It's expected to come in 2022, so we've got a little while yet. Rolyn Jones, who did work on *Friday Night Lights* and *Weeds* and stuff, is uh, writing
2: and show running. Good. <laughs> that's, that's all I have to tell you. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I'm going to give you uh, neighbor news. Um, my neighbor, neighbor Tom. News. Ro- yeah, my neighbor Tom Rob Smith, who lives in the same building as me, um, <laughs> who wrote *London Spy*, *The Assassination of Jenny Versace*, uh, *Mother*, *Father*, *Son*—is that what it's was called? Yeah, um, mm. yeah. Uh, who is Billy Howells? Uh, abs- yeah, exactly. Um he's a legend. Um and his his new show has been announced. It's uh called Um Class of 09, and it stars Kate Mara, who was brilliant in that A Teacher.
1: I watched and- that all oh, again. Two oh, was it amazing? It's yeah. so good
2: so good and Brian Tyree Henry from Atlanta and they play um, it's set in a near future world where the US criminal justice system has been transformed by artificial intelligence and they play FBI agents who graduated in 2009 and they're reunited um, after the death of a mutual friend and um, it's going to be great because Tom wrote it and they star in it gratuitous neighbour um, name dropping neighbour name dropping this is a new lateral <laughs> move
0: for you boy yeah yeah <laughs> Terry, have your neighbours been doing anything you want to uh, big up on this podcast? Nope. Okay, great. Any other news? No, no other no. news. It has been a very light week for news. Thank the bloody football I mean, there was pop that. culture
2: news about Strictly's new judge and <laughs> no. uh, stuff like that. And, and Roma no. Schrag... Ramesh Ranganath has taken over hosting a league of their own from James Gordon, no, but I don't think they fit your... Um, absolutely not. Real absolutely world, not. News. Real
0: world news. I think we'll, we've had enough, you know, Britney news, which has nothing to do with TV already. So uh, let's move on to the reviews. And we begin with Sophie... A Murder in West Cork, which arrives just after Jim Sheridan's Murder at the Cottage, uh, which aired, I think, this month on Sky Crime. And that also explores the murder of Sophie Toscan du Plantier, who was beaten to death outside her holiday home in 1996. Terry, tell us about this one.
1: So, in a weird coincidence, the right word, there are two TV shows at the moment about this murder. Um, There's a Sky series, Murder at the Cottage, and then there's this, which is the Netflix series. Um, Now, as you say, it's about the murder of Sophie Toscan de Plantier in a remote Irish village 25 years ago. Um, I want to just say, before I start, do not Google anything about this case, this woman. And what I'm going to say is, I am not going to name who the suspect is in this review because... There is a reveal at the end of the first episode, which is a genuine mic drop moment. And I do not want to ruin that for anybody listening to this podcast. But please, I beg of you, do not go near the internet because I experienced it knowing nothing about this case. And I really, really, I'm not going to use the word enjoyed because it's pretty grim in places. But I thought this was absolutely fucking superbly done. Now, the difference with this um, documentary on Netflix is Sophie's family are involved. So her cousin is an associate producer, and there were certain prerequisites for them being involved. So, for example, there was an agreement that they wouldn't actually show the body. Now, that tells you a huge amount about the nature of this documentary. It is made by um, John Dower. Simon Chin is an EP who's an Oscar-winning director. So there are proper filmmaking chops behind this. Between them, they worked on Man and Wire, my Scientology movie, um, the D.B. Cooper documentary. And it is, first things first, it is made brilliantly brilliantly. It doesn't do what a lot of Netflix documentaries do, which is just rinse out quite a basic story over episodes and episodes and episodes. That I'm thinking about that bloody hotel one we reviewed a couple (laughs) of months ago, which took a very slight case and stretched it and essentially had to do a lot of heavy lifting in terms of, I suppose, ramping up the drama to be able to justify the length. You don't have that here. It's just three episodes. And it still takes its time. So and these three episodes are kind of, I suppose, broadly split into the first episode, which is about the crime, the second episode, which is about the suspect, and then the third episode, which is essentially about the fight for justice ever since. But the, the kind of, I love the pace at which this is made. So even though the first episode is about the crime and there's some pretty kind of hardcore details in there about the how she died and the, and the brutality of the attack, it takes its time painting a picture of this place where she died because you come to learn how important this place is. So it's a remote Irish village called Shull and they they paint a picture of who lives there, of how these people are brought together, of how the local community works with outsiders. Sophie was French and had bought this house and would come and spend time there. She was an artist. Um, and because her family are inst- extensively involved, so her aunt's interviewed her son is a big presence in this who was just a teenager when she was murdered you really do get the sense of Sophie as a woman not just a victim being important and that's for me what really sets this apart is apart from the 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 kind of craft of the Filmmaking, I mean, the way they use suspense, the way they use um, kind of introducing new elements, the way they introduce the suspect at the end of the first episode, I think it's all done in a really, I suppose, it's a real craft in this film. But what I do think is it has empathy in a way that you don't often see in these true crime things. I'm sure you can have a debate about whether it's too biased to the family's suspicions because the family are involved. Um, We should say that they do interview the suspect or the man who's been accused of, of murdering her. You find out things about him during this film which are pretty horrendous. I was furious by the end of it, I have to say. And could you could you argue that the family being involved would lead to accusations of bias and would put the family's case across? I'm sure you can make that argument. But for me, this was really thorough, really empathetic. I found it incredibly moving. I think it is one of the best examples of this type of documentary. It has brevity. It has, um, but it, and it, but it doesn't kind of in that search for empathy. It still knows that you kind of need certain things. You still need the sense of of clues being given. You still need certain things as a viewer of this. But it doesn't do that at the expense of her, I suppose, character or her being a, a, a fully rounded, flesh and blood human being who deserves to be treated with dignity and humanity, not just a salacious fucking body on a slab. And I think this cannot be applauded enough for actually finding what I think is an incredibly rare balance in these stories. I watched the entire thing in one sitting, and I thought the length was perfect. I just thought everything about it was was brilliantly well done. And so... Yes, and I've got a feeling James is going to wildly disagree with me
0: I don't know I'd disagree with your points on it at all and actually I think I think you're right like one of the Cecil Hotel one I did find salacious to the point where it made me just feel dirty I just didn't like it at all it feels almost pornographic um, and this didn't and I think partly because of the family's involvement it didn't feel salacious which I thought was a nice change the thing is famously as we've discussed before I just don't get this genre at all I don't understand the appeal of watching these morbid depressing like miserable looks into how people were brutally murdered it's like it just it just i find it thoroughly depressing like it's don't get me wrong the storytelling is really good i think they draw it out very well and as you say the the fact that i don't even know how it's really hard to talk about the fact that basically the guy who quite probably killed her is in the fucking documentary being interviewed and that is insane on so many levels i obviously did do the opposite thing once i'd watched it i immediately went to wikipedia and read all about this and it has blown my mind on several levels but that there was something about that that like I said, it wasn't salacious, but on that point, I was like, "Oh, I don't know how I feel about this at all." Like that's really, really kind of creeped me out a little bit.
1: Yeah, but it's a great reveal, right? Because I think they have to give him in the in the kind of pursuit of fairness, he is given an opportunity to. They put very specific accusations to him. He's accused of some pretty horrendous stuff in his mm. personal life as well, and he he they show him rebutting those things. And it becomes important, I think, for him to be seen to be given the right to reply. But also this guy hangs himself. He is a complete pompous narcissist and cannot help but but kind of insert himself into the story. And the what the reveal, the way they, I suppose, they don't set him up, they ask him questions and the answers he gives are extraordinary. Now I know what you mean it's uncomfortable but I think it's important he's in there and I think it does mm. a lot of the storytelling that a lot of other documentary filmmakers would use that in a very heavy-handed way and they would use that to editorialize certain parts of the documentary there were moments when they just kind of went from one person making one claim and then they and then it was literally cut to him being interviewed answering it in the most ridiculous yeah. extraordinary ways and <laughs> and you were being presented with those accounts and then you made your judgment from that he's an he's an extraordinary character and i i did go afterwards and read everything and it's also blown my uh, mind yeah.
0: it's even more like unbelievable um i just yeah but like like i say i just i like i give me magic and fairies and you know (laughs) ya fantasy give me stuff like that don't give me this like actual real life misery
1: but i think you i think it's important to watch this this week as well because there's a line for me between britney and this and all these conversations we're having at the moment because the the person who is accused in this film is a clear misogynist like that is the thing like the things he's accused of with the women in his life mm. he's he's a- accused of domestic very serious domestic violence which he doesn't even deny but he just mm. attempts to basically say, oh, well, you, you know what it's like. It takes two... He actually n- nearly says it takes two to tango, but stops himself before he says the word tango. That there, is a, there is a line between the very public deaths and murders of women we are seeing, how misogyny expresses itself before women end up being murdered is the conversation we should be having at the moment. And I see this documentary as being part of that conversation. This man has a history of violence, very serious violence against women in his life during his questioning these incidents were dismissed as being domestic matters that are common and the fact that people can't see why a a man beating his partner in their own home why that could mean he would also be violent towards other women that's
2: patterns of escalation isn't
1: it yeah and that makes it important i think
2: the director of public prosecutions in his report says that the reason why he is dismissing the fact that this guy has a history of domestic abuse because that kind of violence happens all the time. Like, well, yeah, women get killed all the time by men as well. That's what <laughs> happens. And it's almost such a completely insane moment when that mm. is revealed. I, I agree with Terry. I think what I thought was so fascinating about it was that, because I actually, you know, you have to be honest, it is, uh, in heavy quotes, entertaining. This is... A gripping true crime documentary series that has all the hallmarks of brilliant filmmaking and storytelling, and the characters—you know, the characters in this who are real people—but nevertheless, the the lead detective, oh my god, he is—he reminded me of Martin Brennan, you know, on 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 this on, the Alan Partridge character who sings the song, sings the IRA song. His his accent is so deep. And he has that accent. That's that. that Steve Coogan was doing that kind of accent with that character in that show. That you could sometimes you can almost. And they don't do subtitles on him, which I thought was the right decision. You have to really listen to what he's saying. But he's such. He is such an eccentric, larger than life, use that cliche, cliche figure that he is fascinating. Um, all of these artistic, creative people who are drawn to this area of West Cork. It's this weird artistic community that draws writers and poets and painter artists of all kinds fascinating so the whole thing is and i just thought it was so brilliantly put together as you say really int- really important that it's only these 3 episodes that it isn't dragged on that it's it's really effectively done um and and i think it's interesting because there is always this moral issue about finding true crime in quotes entertaining and interesting and, and being fascinated by it which i am Um, I love this stuff. But I think this is an example, because the family is involved in the making of it, I think it shows you how they are so desperate to get their truth out and what they see as their justice for Sophie that I think in in, in a single stroke, it kind of justifies it, the whole genre, to me. It's like, well, they want the story to be told. They want people to confront the reality of this situation. It's their beloved family member who has been killed. And and I think that's really interesting. And I thought, it kind of like, was like, oh, okay, yeah. you know. And I, I think it kind of, they've trod the line between making it gripping and fascinating and, and also not exploitative. They've trod it perfectly, and it really works. I then watched The Sky. I don't know if you've watched any of The Sky series. I was the about Sky to ask tri- you that. Have you yeah, seen so Jim, Jim Sheridan's? I did, I did watch The mm-hmm. Sky crime series. I watched the first three episodes. And that is bizarre, because this is directed by Jim Sheridan, director of My Left Foot and other stuff and he, this is so it's so weirdly different He it's basically him talking us through his obsession with this case and and the focus of it I have to say is much more on the suspects that we've been talking about and by the way the suspects partner who isn't featured at all in the Netflix series she didn't want to get involved but she is she is front and centre of this one all the way through I thought that was fascinating and they, so they deal head on with the domestic violence issue in a really disturbing way, but they do deal with. It. And Jim Sheridan literally sits there chatting to them for quite a long time about all of these these issues. And yet, I think he's also. I'm not gonna. I, you know. I, at first, I was thinking, oh my god, he's really done the thing that you're not supposed to do, and he's really forgotten about the the woman at Saint Sophie, the victim. But actually, he does deal with that. It's so the the sky crime series is five hours, it's five episodes, but it's still really interesting, and he kind of does pay tribute a lot to to Sophie still, whilst also foregrounding even more this guy, this 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 prime suspect. It's completely different. It's a fascinating contrast. The two, this two series to telling the same story in such a different way is really interesting.
0: Well, Sophie, A Murder in West Cork, drops on Netflix on Wednesday, the 30th of June. Next this week we have Limetown, based on the podcast Limetown, uh, which has been described as serial meets the X-Files. This adaptation stars Jessica Biel and Stanley Tucci in a fictional tale of a Tennessee town whose 300 inhabitants vanish without a trace. Much like this series which debuted on Facebook Watch, whatever that is, uh, in January 1999, only to be promptly cancelled soon after. But let's gloss over that fact, shall we? Uh, As it does come to Alibi this week. Isn't that right, Boyd?
2: Before we get into this, Facebook Watch. So this is Facebook's streaming thing, right? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I know about as much about it as you do, yeah. Facebook has a streaming service where they commission original shows, and th- I think this was the most prominent one, but it didn't didn't last beyond this first series of ten episodes. Yeah, yeah. but it, no, I, I'm equally as mystified <laughs> as you are. <laughs> frankly, I can't believe you didn't mention in your description The Leftovers. Though that's the show it's really like. I mean, that's the st- this is the story. Oh, I mean, The Leftovers is about the disappearance, the mysterious. Well, yes. A, a, a disappearance of a percentage of the whole world population this is about the mysterious disappearance of 326 people it's about the mysterious disappearance of a vast group of people it's very very similar looking
0: at I very don't similar know. I do
1: like manifest but not on a plane
0: yeah so more this it. feels like an episode of the X-Files to me where Mulder and Scully rock up at a town and all the people have just yeah. gone yeah. vanished, It's like a mass alien abduction. The
3: <laughs> well, exactly
0: I think weird <laughs> reason it doesn't gel because the leftovers is a fucking masterpiece and it's all about tone and mood right. and grief whereas this is not of right. those things. <laughs>
2: well, that's what I'm about to say, is that it's, a, it's an object lesson. The Leftovers is how you do it across three incredible, ambitious, spectacularly bold series looking at the huge, big themes and ideas that arise from a, a, a group, masses and masses of people suddenly disappearing and how that changes people's lives. And it kind of works, um, you know, is in the situation at the moment where 150,000 people in this country have died after COVID. And it's kind of just how a huge event impacts... Um, grief and loss, how that impacts uh, population, a community, and individuals, and this is kind of dealing with that. So that, that's why I think the, the the ideas are very similar. But this is so clunky. It's also it manages to be. You think Jessica Biel, she's great, you know. She so it's like it's based on on a podcast, as you said, and she's like. She's making that podcast, if you like, in this drama. So the kind of the, 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 the neat idea, in a way, it would be neat if it worked, but it doesn't really. So she's researching the story to tell the story kind of on the kind of podcast that the podcast was that this is based on. So it's like a podcast within a show based on a podcast, which is all very clever. But the reality of it ends up being weirdly dull and weirdly drawn out. And even though these are only half-hour episodes, I found halfway through the first half-hour episode, which is setting the scene and establishing the story, and it's got flashbacks to with Stanley Tucci as her uncle. He was one of the people who disappeared. But it's weirdly dull and kind of straining for meaning and impact and trying to be I think that's why I keep talking about Leftovers trying to be Leftovers-ish in terms of being you know deep and meaningful but it just comes across as being dull and obvious and that's a real shame because I love Jessica Biel I love Stanley Tucci it's a, you know it's an interesting idea but it just doesn't. It just didn't grip me at all. I watched the second mm. episode kind of out of duty. So there's the end of the first lumberingly boring first episode. <laughs> this this witness <laughs> arrives who says, "I'm going to tell the story to, you, to yeah. Jessica Biel's reporter character about what happened to these 326 people who did." Just- who just suddenly disappeared, and then that scene is excruciating. The second episode, because she, for some reason she, she, they find a way for when Jessica was going, just tell me what happened to you, and she goes, "No, I can't tell you." <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, so you can draw this out for another eight episodes of this stuff. It is honestly, it's. but this is what made the leftover so good
0: is that show fundamentally just wasn't about what happened it wasn't about the why it wasn't about the how it was about the impact it had on people uh whereas this is a mystery all about the how and the why and that's fundamentally undermined when you just don't care not least of all because when this starts it's set up that you know when authorities turn up at this town after hearing sort of 911 calls there's a random bunch of like guerrilla terrorist (laughs) private security people there who and i cannot emphasize this enough just fuck off and leave and the police just let them go, and they presumably have all the answers. So at that point, you're like, "Well, this is just nonsense right out of the gate," and I yeah. just don't want to watch it anymore. Add to that a horrific grammatical error on one of the signs outside the <laughs> thing which said, "Can't believe your why oh you are missing." And I was like, "No, no, hard pass. Can't be dealing with this." Anyone who has been on dating apps will probably have a Pavlovian response to that misuse of grammar, but I couldn't. I couldn't. That was it. Done. Finished.
1: I mean, this was. I think nonsense is the right world. And first of all, let me just say, A, Stanley Tucci is a god, and B, I fully respect Jessica Biel's willingness to do some proper batshit stuff. Like, if you remember her season of... um, Help me out. The Sinner. The Sinner, Sinner. yes. If you remember Jessica Biel's season of The Sinner, which I thought started out like a normal What Made The Woman Go Mental series and turned into (laughs) one of the most warped things I've ever seen on television. I enjoyed her taste in the weird. But
3: (laughs) this just isn't
1: very good. The whole podcast setup. I mean, first of all, you've got this ridiculous thing of there being a a massive coincidental coming together of her editor saying, you've been working on that story way too long. I'm going to give you a week to finish it. And a survivor coming back for the first time as a huge coincidence because she's making a podcast. You literally have her stood in in places with a with a microphone, just jamming it in oh, that face, mic! Which is just that so fucking mic. Awkward. I got so annoyed with that mic. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. It's so it doesn't work. Like I understand that this was a podcast and they're adapting it for telly, but it just doesn't work in that medium. And. The whole see. I do not believe that if 300 people disappeared <laughs> from the world, that the 24 hour, you're meant to believe the premise oh, that yeah, the world yeah. is so, there's so much going on in the world. The 24 hour news cycle is so intense that if 300 <laughs> people disappeared off the face of the planet, yeah. we would just right. get over it. That's the whole concept is. Everyone's forgotten yeah. about this. What with global warming and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. It is manifest on the earth rather than in a plane. It's just mm. its just not very well done. Like,
0: manifest, which incidentally got cancelled yes, this week. Yes, that I also think?
1: did. So it yeah. just, I mean, that whole scene. So I also watched the first two episodes because I felt like the first one I had a bit of a strong reaction to and I was like, look, it might get better. Maybe, you know. Yes, the premise is ridiculous, but maybe um, this meeting she has in episode two will put it on the right track. It's It does not. <laughs> it absolutely does. And none of it makes sense. Why is she reaching out to her? Why is she the only one she'll talk to? Then why won't she tell her? Any, I mean, No. No, 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 no.
2: You're right, though. No, 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 the, that, no. That bit, the bit where she's lecturing us on the 24-hour news cycle is hilarious. It's so basic, isn't it? It's like, we're making this really important point about the 24-hour news. It's bullshit. So on the one hand, they're showing how Piccadilly Circus is showing the news of these people disappearing. And then we're led to believe that a couple of days later we've all forgotten about it. I know. Fuck off. I know. It is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous.
0: Fuck off, Boyd Hilton. There's your uh, official yeah. quote for that one. Uh, well, Limetown drops on. Un- on Tuesday the 29th of June at 9pm if you feel the need after that glowing review assuming you didn't catch it when it was showing on Facebook Watch
1: also maybe Facebook should just get on with being evil and not try and make television
2: (laughs) yeah right yeah Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Ruining the world Next up
0: Next up We have Mayans MC uh, This is the third series Of the Sons of Anarchy Spinoff And the first Since Kurt Sutter Was removed As co-showrunner uh, This season picks up After the unfortunate Shootout At the end Of season two And sees rifts Open within the larger Mayans organisation As different factions Jostle for control Now Terry And Boyd Of course Dropped into this With absolutely no idea What had come for Or what was going on they didn't want to review it. I managed to get my own way. It's all very exciting. And I think we all need to know what Terry thought of this. So, Terry. Do you know what?
1: I almost sent you a text <laughs> last night saying, do not give me fucking Maya, Mayans or whatever it's called to
3: review.
1: <laughs> and, Mayans. And I knew you would. I fucking knew you would. First of all, let me just say that I was quite confused because was there once an actual show, uh, like a fantasy show about the Mayans people, as in the people who <laughs> think the world's going to end?
0: What, the Mayan civilization? Yeah. I'm assuming they have been depicted uh, on television so before. Thought, Are you thinking of Mysterious Cities of Gold?
1: So I genuinely thought so. In our in our pilot WhatsApp group, I kept calling it fucking Mayans. And that's because I thought it was a weird James fantasy show that we were being made to watch. So I thought this was fantasy or sci-fi, quite honestly. So when it started I was like oh for fuck's sake I can't believe what it's going to be some some dickheads fucking like predicting the end of the world and running around in funny costumes and there's a man on a motorbike like kicking the shit out of somebody and I was like am I watching the wrong thing and then I think I'm just hallucinated that my aunt's the fantasy show is a thing but so I, I was so I I apologize for calling it fucking Mayans over and over again. Um,
0: I'm just loving the fact that you're calling it Mayan's what is it repeatedly. <laughs>
1: what is it Mayans. Mayans.
0: <laughs> Mayans. Don't keep doing that. I know I'm loving it. Carry on.
1: Right, so the fucking Mayans. Right. So I haven't ever watched an episode of the Mayan's, and I also haven't watched an episode of Sons of Anarchy, which I believe it's a spin-off of. So Yes. I know nothing about anything to do with this show or the show, apparently, it's a spin off of. I should say that my brother has long said, my brother is obsessed with Sons of Anarchy and he has long told me that he thinks I will love it. Now,
0: it's proper grim. Yeah,
1: that's the thing. So (laughs) here's what I did get from this show that, um, what's his name? JD Pardo, who plays. Yeah. Yeah. He is amazing so he I believe
0: he's also Dom Toretto's dad in the new (laughs) Fast and Furious movie
1: I mean I have to say he is he is incredibly compelling uh I was very so I found myself very invested in this quite quickly and look all of these things whether it's mafia or bike gangs or whatever it is there's like groups of Good guys who do bad things and bad guys who do good things, and they're kind of at war over something to do with drugs, and there's something about a pipeline not working, and something about a border being closed, and there's innocent people being like treated like shit, and pe- desperate people ending up in prison, and all of these things are happening. It is exactly what you think it is. Um, there, I do have some issues with it, though. Let me explain. So, the women in this show. Can we talk about the women in this show? Can we talk about how the women in the show are whores, or virgins, saints and sinners, or hard faced bitches? Right. So those seem to be the three type of Mayens women. Um, so he, that nice guy, like he's got a new miss, he's got a new missus, but she is pure as the driven snow, very childlike, you know. Like, mm-hmm. and there are other women in this who literally walk around with their vaginas out. There is a big vagina <laughs> out scene, and is there? Uh, when he turns to put the house and goes, oh, I didn't know you had. To, oh, who's that? And then she walks out. And if you watch when she walks away, she has no pants on, and you see her bum. And if she, you you co- cut, if she has mm. no pants on and she turned around, that means you'd see her vagina.
2: <laughs> Technically correct. So, uh, <laughs> there are a few extra
0: stages to that. That might be a bit of a leap. Well, okay, the carry point on.
1: Wasn't about what we see. The point is about what the men in the scene right. are meant to see. Right. That she I is. See. She is a woman of a certain character who would happily. Shag a man who's apparently I th- I presume married, um, or at least got a baby mama, and he she would A, shag him, but B happily walk out in front of his pal with no keks on and a t shirt that does not <laughs> cover her nunny. So that was my point. That was the point about the character of that woman.
3: Very <laughs> and, true. I mean, and, it's right, true. and then
1: and yeah. and the attitude to violence, right? We've got to talk about this. And I am just reacting to this having seen nothing else, not understanding the context or what may have come before. So it's weird, right? Because these guys, these Mayans guys, they're clearly, they do bad shit, but you're meant to believe that at least some of them are good guys, really. You know, they're doing it. They're doing these bad things. They're doing it for business, but actually they're not complete, awful, like, dickheads. But there's this weird treatment of violence. So there's an opening scene, which is, um, somebody just getting the shit kicked out of them. And they do this weird thing. It happens again when they're in a bar... F- I, w- I would say bar fight, but it's not a fight because they essentially just kick the shit out of some people. It's the camera kind of... The violence happening in the background goes out of focus and there's a scene happening in front which the camera focuses on. Therefore, the, the violence is always weirdly kind of like... Well, it is literally out of focus. So you get the sense of something brutal happening, but you don't see it. And what that does is it kind of undercuts the violence in this and, and something which I think is like really questionable. So the bit in the bar, there's the, they are having an argument amongst themselves in the bar. There's a, a group of what turns out to be sailors, but like, you know, small, wimpy looking guys, let's be honest, they're meant to be, who bang into them. And they, they turn around and instead of fighting each other, they kick the shit out of these guys. It's not a fight. They You see these guys literally getting knocked unconscious. Then... Two of the guys that sat at the bar, off, including the one I like, and they're having a conversation. Then he goes to him, like, puts his eyebrow up and goes, shall we? And he goes, okay, then. And it's this really <laughs> light-hot, light-hot clip. And then the camera again, so it focuses here. Then in the background, you see the shape of them basically going full in. There's somebody clearly unconscious on the pool table. And you just see them, like, sweating this guy who presumably they break his face and break his bones and all of this. And it's this weird kind of glib, lighthearted, hearted l- lol treatment of some pretty brutal violence and the way it's shot, I think, is meant to distance you from the reality. Because if you if you were if the cameras were up there, presumably you'd see noses being smashed all over faces, blood. I kept thinking about those poor guys who just, you know, tried to play a bit of pool and literally got the shit kicked out of them. And you know, when after he said, Oh, shall we, the other one like picked up a barstool, lol, which he then went and smashed somebody over there. Like, I don't get it. I found it really odd that that treatment. I don't know if it's because you have to still root for those characters in some way, so you can't just see them being brutally violent over and over again for no reason, even though they are. I know that's not the point, but it's just rank it just rankled with me a bit. <laughs> um But all of that said about, you know, the fucking women being whores and virgins and the ridiculous desensitized violence and blah, 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 blah. By the end of it, I was like, that was really good. I want to watch some more. Shall I watch Sons of Anarchy? How many Sons of Anarchy can I fit in before I go to work today? (laughs) And I'm completely pulled in. And it it does feel massively old school in a way. Very much kind of like old school depictions of violence and women and all of that that's not to say that isn't a realistic depiction of of maybe what that is actually like so it did feel it i don't know there's something about it that felt quite out of step with where we are now but also it, it's like i have to say it's really fucking well done you've all the characters and that's the thing whether it's the fucking sopranos or it's goodfellas or it's this You need to be able to root for those characters. No matter the bad things you do, you have to find them compelling enough and interesting enough and flawed enough to be able to root from them from the beginning. And you do. I was like fully in on all of them. I found them all super interesting, found myself sympathizing with pretty dreadful people from the get-go. I found this really, really, really Good. even my initial <laughs> points,
3: my initial
1: intellectual points about its treatment of women and violence stand, and yeah, it's very entertaining television.
0: I, I would suggest you actually watch Sons of Anarchy, which is a lot better than this. Uh, it it also has, shall we say, some gender portrayals that you will definitely bump on, but it's a much, much better
2: series uh, for
0: reasons I'll get into in a minute. But uh, Boyd, what did you make of this?
2: Funnily enough, the violence thing was the thing that really occur- that occurred to me as well. Um you know, for you, this re- is this is I astonishing to I, me. I, I love violence in in TV and film, but it it's it, it's really interesting because like people often complain about Quentin Tarantino, you know, kind of glorifying or romanticising violence or whatever. But actually, Quentin Tarantino's films are about violence a lot of the time, and they, they show it to you in an incredibly kind of brutal front of, front you know front and centre way. But as Terry's right, it's so weird that, the, the way it's done in this in this show. Um, I found it like it's almost like, yes, yeah, sh- uh, both shying away from it and at the same time kind of reveling in it and the blokes kind of loving it and kind of almost tacitly approving of it. I, I thought uh, it really put me off. And yet at the same time, it is really well made. It's really well done. Um, it-, it is like, it feels like I watched a bit of Sons of Anarchy. I never got into it as much as probably I should have done, or clearly as much as you did. But this does feel like a bit of kind of breaking bad light, This this version. Uh, or, or even better, call Saul even lighter. And again, those shows—you know—part of what made those shows so brilliant was they really made the violence, the violence really hit home. I, I you know, I, I, I'm more scared of violence than almost anything. I, can't, I find it really different. You know, in the real world, that's funny enough. Even though I love it on screen in TV and film, I find that just the merest hint of it, which is why time—you know—the Jimmy McGovern series was so effective. Mm. The violence in that was so visceral and so real, and and the threat of it was there. So overarching the whole thing. It really hit home with me. Whereas this is like tossed off, like fucking nothing. And I find that so odd. I find that really, really weird. And I wondered if it had anything to do with, I've been reading about how Kurt Sutter was, why he was, thrown mm-hmm. off the show and it's very controversial um, if you look into it you know there are accusations that of really of unpleasantness on set to, to kind of almost underplay it and he wrote a letter to everyone have you have you read that James as a, yeah. As a, yeah. yeah so there's, if, you, if you google it you'll read all about the controversy and why he, he felt that Disney were disney the whole thing and, and I wonder and I read that and I thought I don't know how that fits in with this with the whole way the show is depicting violence but something is making me feel uneasy about it and yet as, as Tony said, I agree. It, it, within an hour of... This is my first hour of watching the show at all, and I'm, I was invested in the characters pretty quickly. I mean, the scene where the poor... The kind of drug mule woman has to drive and kind of is, is faced with what she's going to do because she's stopped by the cops. That yeah. was really tense and difficult to watch, and she was great in it, and, you know, that, that was really effectively done. Also, it was all kind of very, very well done, but I found the whole violence thing really weird. I have to agree with That's Terry. It's really interesting because I don't even
0: notice... The violence in this series, because Sons of Anarchy is very violent, and this is a very violent show as well, and both of them have kind of traded a lot, and Sutter's has done this, like, he started off doing this in The Shield as well, like, extreme shocking, really kind of, like, shake-you-to-your-core type violence, and he, in Sons of Anarchy, like, they had a trend of opening each season with an inciting event that was so horrific, so absolutely horrific, that you almost can't continue watching it, you have to stop, and like, oh my god, and... I, like, I, and I struggle with that a little bit in The Shield at times, but very much in The Sons of Anarchy. Suddenly, the beginning of the uh, season two one is really upsetting. And there's one a couple of seasons later on which... Amazingly, I think they went out of their way to try and make even more upsetting. Um, and so compared to that, this actually feels quite tame. But what you're talking about is the casualness of yeah, the brutality the and the violence. Yeah, the is the problem in, in a way. Yeah. And that is, I think, wonder whether that's because you've come into it at this point. Like, It's yeah. the grammar of their lives. This is the world they live in. It is so punctuated. Violence is there every day. Right. And extreme violence is is an everyday occurrence to them. And it's part of this culture because what works so well about Sons of Anarchy and what works about this is a portrayal of this very particular subculture. It's like looking at like, you know, the mafia through the the Sopranos. It's fascinating and horrifying and attractive in equal... Measures And it gives you very confused feelings about it. Weirdly, I think that's also where this show slightly goes wrong. So I've watched this whole third season, and uh, I think it's a little disappointing for me. I don't know whether it's Sutter's absence, but it felt like it lacked a little bit of edge and focus. Like there's a big, there's a sort of drug... Uh, subplot around Coco, which is quite dull. The Mayan infighting is the heart of this. But the cartel stuff and the rebel stuff feels quite tired by this point. And honestly, they they introduce this, as you mentioned, this doe-eyed love interest for Easy. It doesn't do much to mix things up really either. Honestly, I feel like this show is kind of in need of a bit of a shake-up, because I think as with seasons 1 and 2 although season 2 did this slightly better there's just too much going on in this show and it gets really really muddled like Sons of Anarchy is a really lean show it's very focused and the thing that works what they know is it's about the MC subculture it's about the characters it's about the life and they focus on that and I think this show is trying to take pains to distance itself a little bit from Sons of Anarchy to differentiate itself and it just gets bogged down in plot so you don't get to explore the characters in the same way like it's interesting hearing how much you guys like the characters Because I feel like this far into Sons of Anarchy, I knew every character's name. They all had an inner life. I I really understood them. And like... I'm three seasons into this show I'm not 100% sure I can name all the Mayans genuinely Um, Edward James Olmos I think is the best thing in this series even though he spends a lot of his season walking very slowly around his house or the butcher shop in which he works being depressed you're just in Um, bed
2: in most of this episode
0: and he's in bed at the beginning of this yeah he spends most of it quite depressed like it's so yeah I, I was disappointed by this season that said you know I still enjoy the show but I think Mayans has never reached the heights of Sons of Anarchy and this I don't think his peak minds either. Uh, so maybe it's a period of adjustment when a showrunner departs. I think it's always a difficult time. Sutter, as you said, talked quite a lot about how the show was going where he didn't want it to go. How the finale of season two, which he wrote, was rewritten and changed in ways he really didn't appreciate. But we'll see how this plays out. But I do think, you know, whether, boy, you want to go back to it, but Terry, you should definitely sit down and watch the first few episodes of the first season of Sons of Anarchy. It's got great people, it's got Charlie Hunnam in it, it's got Ron Perlman in it, you know, it's it's Casey Sagals in it. It's, it. it's really great stuff. I do think you'd enjoy that.
2: That, Peaky Blinders, leftovers, all of this stuff. I've always <laughs> been fascinated. by heard that Charlie Hunnam is is the is 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 in it because it's such a unlikely right. bit of casting. Charlie Hunnam, is well, great. It, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, he's great. I was on set of uh, the final season of Sons of Anarchy. Oh, I wow. interviewed them all there. It was uh, it was it was great fun. But yes, Terry, we're going to have to get you to watch Sons of Anarchy. We're going to have to get you to watch the leftovers and Peaky Blinders all before you leave. This is very important so we can have on pod debriefing. So clear your schedule. This has to happen. You're muted so we can't hear your uh, your comments. Oh,
1: I've been. I've been why you weren't answering me when I was, rins- oh, no, when I was rinsing you. <laughs> oh, did you, you? say things? I-, I didn't hear you say things. What were you saying? <laughs> <Just> <laughs> flagging you up, let's be honest.
0: <laughs> All right, fine. Oh, God. Right, well, anyway, the third season of Minds MC drops on BBC Two on the 4th of July at 10pm. So lastly this week is a show that may or may not be arriving, because we're not entirely sure. I have heard that The Watch, which aired in the US earlier this year, is arriving finally this week on the 1st of July, but coming to iPlayer rather than BBC itself. And I'm not sure if it is or if it isn't. So we think it's dropping this week, but... We'll talk about it anyway, since I've seen the first one. So this is basically a police procedural inspired by the late great Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, more specifically the City Watch series, which began with with Guards, Guards. Uh, and Richard Don is in this as Captain Sam Vimes uh, and takes a look at the mean streets of Ankh Morpork, which is Pratchett's legendary Discworld city. So as I said, this this kind of aired earlier this year in the US. To, I think I would say m- mixed reception. Uh, and to say this takes some liberties with the source material would be an understatement. So this one was disowned Owned, I think, by Rihanna Pratchett, Terry Pratchett's daughter. Uh, and Neil Gaiman described this as, like Batman, if he was now as news reporter in a yellow trench coat with a pet bat, <laughs> which is not a ringing endorsement. Uh, but they have taken huge liberties. So with loads of the characters have been changed. They've moved from the book's kind of medieval fantasy setting to a weird, weird kind of s- not quite contemporary punk rock interpretation of the setting where they have guns they have crossbows but it feels other than that pretty contemporary and the tone is absolutely all over the place like so it's got excellent production values so like it's, it's really well made uh but it feels quite ill-conceived it really does like okay to its credit i think it's quite accessible uh like to anyone who hasn't read the books before you know it's not baffling it's quite easy to get into but it also doesn't have any of the sparkle that makes those books so wonderful um it feels quirky but also derivative and i think ultimately it's just a bit boring so the characters in this which are artfully conceived in the books they're kind of like just paper caricatures here uh and look pratchett's had his work adapted a number of times and at this point to almost no success in fact apart from good omens i would say which actually works very well every attempt to translate pratchett's humor to the screen has just ended in disaster because i think it's something that works really well on the page and just doesn't translate very well and honestly if it wasn't for good omens i'd be inclined to say just that like it just doesn't translate you can't do it leave it alone but that did work so clearly there's a way there is a through line if you get the right tone and the right sensibility you can make it work uh this show unfortunately i would say doesn't uh so despite having some you know good people in it, it, it i mean it hasn't been officially cancelled it hasn't been officially renewed we don't really know what's going on but i gotta say it would be no great loss if we didn't return to this particular version of ank more pork um that said if you want to check it out for yourself we believe it drops on iplayer on the first of july so have a look for it there so other than the watch what would your pick of the week be people
1: sophie
2: yeah i agree yeah sophie
0: Uh, I mean, Mayans for me, obviously. But uh, yes, Yes, Sophie's, Sophie's good. If you like those really grim, depressing, true crime things... What else is out this week, Boydy? Uh we've got there's a lot of DC stuff, isn't there? Like Supergirl's back, Legends of Tomorrow's back, The Flash is back. They're all dropping on Sky 1. So there's lots yes. going on there. And
2: I wanted else? to mention I wanted to mention Ghislaine Maxwell Epstein's Shadow, which oh, is yeah. this um Sky documentaries now um three part, three films about her. The first one is, is mostly about Robert Maxwell, her horrendous um father who was, you know, Famous famous um, media mogul who was just a disgrace to humanity, basically. Um, but these are really in- are going to be really interesting, in depth documentaries looking at that whole bizarre case and her relationship with Epstein, the uh, disgraced, um, now dead paedophile, basically. So it's going to be, yeah, I think that's a really interesting series. Oh, there's a second series, uh, there's a new series of Beck, which is a lot of people love the Swedish detective drama. That's on Saturday on BBC4. It's called Back Undercover. That show is, like, the most popular show in Sweden, I think, um, and is, and has got a lot of fans, and that's back. I think that's about it.
0: All right. Well, in that case, I guess we are done. That is it for this week's show, as ever. If you've not yet left us a five-star rating, then we'd very much appreciate one, along with whatever constructive feedback you'd like to hurl our way. Uh, and speaking of feedback, you can give it to us remotely on social media, uh, at James C. Dyer, at Terry underscore White, and at Boyd Hilton. Boydy. We have no earthly idea what we'll be talking about next week, do we? Like, it really might be Sexy yeah. Beasts and whatever bloody football
2: is uh, is airing. Love Island, Wimbledon and the bloody football, yeah. How about that? Oh my special. God,
0: it's going to be a disaster. Perhaps we can do a Terry special where Terry watches Sons of Anarchy, The mm. Leftovers and Peaky Blinders and we just debrief her for an hour and a half. Terry, does that sound good to you?
1: Oh yeah, that sounds great.
0: <laughs> okay, super. <laughs> Super. So you can look forward to that or some close approximation of it next week. Until then, though, pilot out.